Hey there, it's Riley Reed, your hostess and the creator of Woke Beauty, a creative studio that celebrates the inherent resilience of women everywhere. This show questions the lens of beauty and power. You'll hear unfiltered conversations with a dynamic myriad of female visionaries interwoven with my own mental health story, lessons, and philosophies. This episode is part one of Demystifying Mental Health Medicine. Please note before I continue, I am not licensed. My knowledge is derived from social psychology education, personal experience, medical consulting, and persistent research. While listening, keep in mind, I am just a resource, a well-read girl with a story. If you need help beyond this podcast, please contact a certified professional. This episode is going to cover two aspects of medicine, psychiatry and medication. Before I begin, I want to define medicine because, you know, I love words and the meaning behind them. It's really important to note that the very first definition of medicine in the dictionary is any substance or substances used in treating disease or illness, medicaments, remedy. Remedy, my preferred word, is defined by something that cures or relieves a disease or bodily disorder, a healing medicine, application, or treatment. Why is this important? Well, medicine oftentimes is associated with something that is bad, negative, a crutch, something that somehow makes us weaker or dependent, especially in the world of functional medicine, which I greatly respect. It's oftentimes denied, even neglected, and I just don't think that that's always the answer. I think that functional medicine, traditional medicine, Western medicine, all medicine can coexist, and that each blend is really specific to who you are, where you come from, and how your body, mind, and spirit function. My stance and my philosophy on medicine is rooted in holistic therapy. Holistic therapy is also sometimes referred to as holistic psychotherapy or body-centered psychotherapy. It's essentially an integrative type of therapy that incorporates both traditional and non-traditional treatments to help us as a whole. When I embarked on my mental health journey, I really explored multiple aspects of medicine. Free medicine, like walking, exercising, hanging out with my friends, you know, watering a plant, cuddling my dog, music, aroma, stimulus. I also dove into other kinds of medicine that require financial support like medication, therapy, psychiatry, acupuncture, and other healing modalities. I found that there's a blend that works for me. I am comprised of many different things and those different things need support in different ways. That's what an integrative approach looks like. Psychosynthesis is the word we use for a reparative perspective. It's not just looking at mental health, it's also looking at personal growth and personal development. It's like we have the ability to synthesize various parts of the self to become more evolved and more self-actualized. It's really a transpersonal approach. It goes beyond personal identity and into a state of consciousness because it integrates all aspects of the human experience. Sometimes in the past when I've experienced depression or gotten caught up in anxiety, 
I've had this realization that I'm too focused on myself, my emotions, my state of mind. It's almost egotistical. Like I start having anxiety about my anxiety. But when I lean into mindfulness and drop this need to feel worthy and validated, I can just exist plainly. No judgment, no criticism, just breathing and crying and walking and being. Spiritual, emotional, cognitive, physical. Even when you go into a psychiatrist's office where you're addressing the function or malfunction of your mind, hopefully that psychiatrist considers your medical history, your blood work, your family history, how you grew up, what you were born into. All of those parts of you are equally important. Your mind doesn't work in a vacuum. There are a lot of conversations that need to happen around psychiatry and medication specifically. They're largely misunderstood, misused, and abused. They're also just so overwhelming. I don't feel like I really even found the best therapist for myself until a few years ago after 27 years of being alive. But despite society's lack of attention to the matter, all three aspects, psychiatry, medication, and therapy, can be utilized as incredible tools on your mental health journey. They are forms of medicine. Because it's a Wild West-type landscape, I am not going to cover everything in this episode. I've thought about it a lot, I've written about it a lot, and I am probably only going to share a one-hundredth of what I could. But please know that what I'm getting ready to share is what I consider to be important and notable, at least right now, and that there's a lot more to the picture. On that note, you can always reach out at Riley at WokeBeauty.com, follow me on Instagram at RileyBlanksRead, and again, if you need help beyond this podcast, please see a mental health professional. When I first embarked on feeling better, I was in a depressive state, so doing anything required immense effort. It was almost like I was literally in a cloud of fog, like really dense fog, the kind that, you know, when you're driving, you just can barely see the road in front of you. That's what it felt like. And so in order to get out of that state, I needed help from other people. I needed to build a team around me to support me. Thankfully, I had the love and care of family members, but, you know, sometimes it's hard to see what's right in front of you. My husband, who actually works in mental health, didn't know it was wrong. He was too close. I needed unbiased, professional, reliable medical care. I recognize that psychiatry, medication, and therapy are all oftentimes expensive nor covered by insurance. That lack of support looks like a gaping wound in healthcare. It's really unfortunate because all three aspects have the ability to facilitate liberation so that you can then dive further into free forms of medicine and Eastern Hemisphere philosophies. I could get on a soapbox about the systemic issues laced throughout our society, but I digress. If you have the ability and the privilege to seek psychiatric care and therapy, I highly recommend it. Explore it. And if you don't, know that I feel for you and that I'm hopeful this podcast can help facilitate a safe, supportive, informative space. So back to the sort of beginning. 
The first step was for me to see a psychiatrist. My husband has worked in psychiatric mental health care, specializing in behavioral conditions for over a decade. So I have been privy to a lot of knowledge and wisdom that I might not otherwise have access to. I knew through him that seeking psychiatric care and getting a medication plan could build a path toward healing. With him by my side, I could also be reminded that it is okay to need psychiatric care. It is okay to need therapy. It is okay to need medication. Ironically, at the time, I was seeing a therapist who was not right for me. She'd answer the phone from her adult kids in the middle of sessions, and she cried when I told her about my trauma. I found myself uncomfortable when I left her office. I couldn't relate to her or her style of therapy, and some of her practices and beliefs were just not in alignment. At the time, I was pretty desperate, but you know, I'll tell you now, if you're seeing someone who is behaving in ways that are not supportive, then it is just majorly time to move on. Your time is your greatest gift. And further, remember, you are paying them to take care of you. So if they are not treating you with the utmost respect and delicacy, then it is time to either, one, if you think the relationship is salvageable, have a conversation that sets boundaries and that fosters a healthier environment. Or two, move on and find someone else. Not all practitioners are created equal. Lucky for me, next door to the therapist I no longer see was a psychiatry office. It was so convenient and serendipitous that that office was right there. I was depressed, and because this would be my first time seeing a psychiatrist, searching for someone was just another task that felt like a lifting a weight that was just much too heavy. With the encouragement of my husband, I made an appointment with a psychiatrist who thankfully had openings, and my first appointment lasted almost three hours. It was essentially an analysis, a warm, welcoming consultation. She took her time and spent more minutes looking me in the eye than taking notes. She made an effort to better understand who I was, where I came from, and how I felt. She went through an abundance of questions and asked for a lot of background and context. In some ways, it was a form of therapy for me to consider myself and to really dive deep into why I am the way I am. There was something refreshing about how straightforward it was. Some of the questions required a simple yes or no. Some had a numerical scale. Others were rooted in storytelling. But here's something to think about. Something to really note. It's something my psychiatrist taught me. When we look at bipolar 2, we have to look at environmental and lifestyle factors. It's accumulative. It's not like, boom, you live with bipolar 2. It's defined by multiple components. How you came into the world. How you were nurtured. Who were your parents? How did they raise you? What do they struggle with? any trauma you've ever experienced, and not just mental or emotional trauma, but also physical trauma. Like I was born with an enlarged mole in my head that required two years of surgery for the first two years of my life. There was a severe bike accident I had when I was 12 that involved a concussion and five days in the hospital. I had multiple injuries in my athletic career. I experienced grooming and sexual assault as a teenager. There were times I took antibiotics for illnesses. I was T-boned in my early 20s, sideswiped by an 18-wheeler. I say all of these things not to victimize myself, but rather to explain that who I am now 
is in large part dictated by the life I've lived up to this point. Good, bad, ugly, beautiful, all of it. Environmental and lifestyle factors can contribute to the onset of bipolar 2 or other mood or personality disorders. Extreme stress, substance abuse, grief, financial stress. The initial analysis with my psychiatrist was in-depth. She asked me about my current state of mind. What times of day do you feel your best? How do you feel right now? Why? Do you ever have phases of unexplained bliss? Lack of sleep? Irritability? Does it feel like no one can catch up? How is your focus? What about your sleep? Like, what does it really look like? No stone was left unturned. Beyond our conversation, she did blood work, consulted with other professionals that I had seen, and even met with my husband and me collectively. Her perspective of me was holistic and all-encompassing. I didn't feel like a specimen. I felt like a human who just didn't feel good. Eventually, she looked me in the eye and said, gently and sweetly, you know, hey, I think you might be living with a mood disorder called bipolar 2. However, I really want to take my time and I want to see if my diagnosis is correct because I've only just met you. I don't fully know you yet. I don't have the big picture. Something else could be going on and I am really cautious and conservative with how I diagnose and how I treat. Despite my initial shock and disappointment, that in and of itself, those words, that level of attentiveness felt like care. I felt safe, seen, and understood even though my diagnosis was not concrete, even though it wasn't what I wanted to hear at all. Initially, my psychiatrist gave me one piece of advice to feel better, and it is one of the most crucial forms of medicine for my mood disorder. It was one of the very first things she ever taught me, and she still reminds me of it today. Have a sleep schedule. Go to bed at the same time every night. Wake up at the same time every morning. (laughs) Right. That circadian rhythm can help manage bipolar 2 symptoms. It's really a great practice for anyone, no matter who you are or what you deal with. But with bipolar 2, it's special because bipolar 2 has intense polarities between extreme mood states each state can affect or be affected by sleep but if a ritual is already in place your body has the support to fall in step it's easier said than done i love watching films and shows with my husband and i can just easily stay up late doing you know nothing (laughs) i mean what can you really do at 1 a.m anyway i used to say i'm a night owl but i've realized i'm actually more productive in the morning i love waking up before the rest of the world so long as i get enough sleep otherwise don't talk to me and so oftentimes that's my incentive if i go to bed now now being like i don't know 10 i can wake up at 6 not feel like shit and do something that actually makes me feel good that's the cool thing about a sleep schedule Morning and night are the two times of day when you have the most control. My psychiatrist was like, hey, oftentimes when you have anxiety, it's because you feel out of control. Things you can't control are bothering you. So take back your life. Those hours are yours. They belong to no one else. Do things in those times of day that serve you. Those words have stayed with me. They will forever, and that is the key. Find someone who can help you presently but who can also sustain and carry you into the future and beyond. I'm not only better because of the time I've spent with my psychiatrist, but also because of the effect she's had on my time outside of her office. 
And when that time gets lost or when it gets influenced by a mood swing, I have her after hours number to aid me in getting back to ground level. I've never felt like my psychiatrist sees me because I'm another patient supporting her career. Of course, I recognize she has to make a living, but she has reminded me through professional boundaries and selfless guidance that she never wants finances to prohibit me from receiving the care I need. Going back to that integrated approach, in this instance, I am benefiting from so much more than a medical specialty. I am also learning what a healthy working relationship looks like. I am learning that I can be empowered to take ownership over my mental health, but I don't have to do it alone. As I mentioned in the trailer, I made a pact with my psychiatrist after she determined that I suffer from bipolar 2. I was resistant to the diagnosis. I was scared and frustrated. I mean, I was pissed. I told her I wasn't ready for medication. I thought that if I took it, it somehow made me inadequate. I thought that I could heal myself through free medicine, the kind that you can do through self-empowerment, going to yoga, eating delicious food. I was raised in a high-expectation household. I was taught, you can do anything you set your mind to. And here I was with a flawed mind. It felt like a challenge to my character. It felt like I threw away everything I had ever learned. I thought that omega-3 and B vitamins would be sufficient, that I could control my neurons. And I got super wound up in functional medicine. I went to this guy once who tapped my right elbow and told me I should take more iron. I'm not kidding. I still believe very strongly in the well-being approach, besides that guy, (laughs) and so does my psychiatrist. However, I now know that medication is okay. It is okay to take medication. It is okay to integrate it into your medicinal care. There is nothing wrong with it. It only becomes a problem when you are either misdiagnosed mistreated, misdosed, forced, or when you yourself abuse it. Objectively, there is nothing wrong with medication until there's something wrong with it. And usually that something wrong is caused by a human, not by the medicine itself. If you are looking into working with a psychiatrist, there are different ways that you can approach finding someone. I am lucky to have essentially happened upon my psychiatrist's office with vouching from a close family friend, I imagine, you know, that's probably rather uncommon, the the part where I just happened upon it. If you're already seeing a therapist, you can ask them for a recommendation list. And if you don't have a therapist or if you don't like anyone on their list, you can also rely on other practitioners that you see. Oftentimes, they're in conversation with one another. Generally, the practitioner you like will be connected with other practitioners you will also like, and as importantly, trust. Referrals go a long way, and on that note, same with friends, family members, peers, and people in your community. If none of the above serve you, and you still want to look deeper, Psychology Today is an amazing resource. Don't get me wrong, it's overwhelming. You'll type in psychiatrist in your city or zip code and find dozens and dozens and dozens of options. Try to make sure that you carve out enough time, and when I say enough time, more time than you think you need. To sit down with a cup of tea or whatever you like and really sift and study through your options. There are different indicators that you can use like credentials, backgrounds, approaches. Make sure you align with their values and forms of practice. 
look into what they treat and who they treat. There can be fear and intimidation when we go into doctor's offices, and it's completely understandable considering how the industry can function and just how mysterious it is. <laughs> like most industries, it's deeply flawed. But that doesn't mean you can't find someone who will serve you. And it does begin with you. It starts with you taking ownership over your health. And that ownership includes medication. Whether you take it, whether you don't. Even if it's not your specialty, even if you feel clueless as I did, you can own what you consume or what you don't consume and how you consume it. Your psychiatrist should be your leader and open your eyes to what's possible when my psychiatrist and I first discussed options, she pulled out a laminated template of descriptions about antipsychotics, antidepressants, analytics, which treat anxiety, and mood stabilizers. She explained the different symptoms, ramifications, and all the different ways that these medications functioned, including any risks. It was incredibly helpful to see that laid out on a piece of paper. I essentially got like a mini education. And that's what you want. You want someone who's going to teach you what they know so that you can make the best decision for yourself. Once you start to think about medication, write a list of pros and cons, a list of the symptoms, how the medication might interact with other medications or supplements you're taking. Supplements are very powerful, all of them. They can interact and they're incredible. I take them, I appreciate them. I also know the effect that they can have, especially in tandem with other medications. So I really make sure to do my own research and talk with people in the industry so that I know what I'm taking will support me entirely. You want to make sure that you do your own research and that your psychiatrist is informed. But take it a step further. Take this into your own hands. You own it. It's yours. It's your body. It's your mind. Get on the internet. Vet the forums. Don't get lost because they can get wild and the journals and the articles interview other people whatever you need to do to make sure that you have a full picture all right so likely if you've made it to this point you might be feeling overwhelmed challenged confused triggered or just like a plethora of feelings whatever you're feeling I encourage you to embrace it let it move through you feelings are not permanent and there is nothing wrong with them I know some things might have been unearthed and those things might manifest into anxiety. Regardless, before I close, I want to talk about how you might alleviate anxiety or intrusive thoughts. It's something that everyone, and I mean everyone, will face at one point or another in their life, whether they have a clinical diagnosis or whether they are going through a situational experience. For me, I can at times... Have it in a way that's just paralyzing, in a way that permeates my environment and just takes the wheel. And it can be really disruptive and jarring. The thing with anxiety is that when you are worried, stressed, or fearful, you are detached from your body. Those thoughts that are going on in your mind, they are not rooted in reality. They are completely illogical. If your mind and your body is taken over, then, all right, just know it's going to be tricky. Because it's going to feel like it's hard to exist in a state of mind that's supportive. So you have to use the time when you're at your highest self to do the work. Be proactive so that you can access those times where you don't feel so good. 
Because when you're anxious, you're not thinking about something that's going on right now. You're not present. You're thinking about something that has happened, something that is coming, or something that exists in another house, in another country, in another part of your life with another person. It is not here. It is not now. And so what I highly recommend is to find ways to bring yourself back to your body. Ground. Those things can be really simple. You can lean into touch and sensation. You can run your hand over a soft blanket, put on a comfy sweater or some fuzzy socks, get in the shower and let warm water slide off your back. Go outside, take your shoes off and put your feet in some dirt or some grass and just let them sink. If you're near a beach, pick up some sand and let it sift through your fingers. If you're looking at some snow right now, pick up some snow let it melt. If you want to lean into aroma, light a candle with a match, burn some incense, get some essential oils, rub them together, and just put your hands up to your face. If you love music, turn on a song that brings you joy, go outside and listen to the birds chirp. You can look at something too, pick up your favorite aesthetically pleasing book and flip through it, or tilt your head back and look at the sky. Taste something, make some tea or a nurturing dish that reminds you of a good part of your childhood. Move your body, feel sweat dripping down your face. Do something low impact that puts your body in a rhythmic motion like walking. Walking is like my favorite form of medicine. That was a long list. Just pick one. I recognize that the majority of this episode requires financial support and a lot of effort and a lot of time. You don't have to do it now. If you already do it, you don't like all of it, you don't have to fix it now. It's a process, it's a journey. I have been seeing my psychiatrist since the fall of 2017, almost five years ago, and I'm only just now recording my experience. It takes time, but until you get there, until you get in step where you feel like you're taken care of, where you feel like you can really lean into the best parts of yourself, there are tactics that are free and accessible and they're likely within reach and they're mostly within yourself. One last thing, don't forget, your thoughts are like birds flying up ahead. Your mind does not have to be a nest. They can just chirp, chirp, chirp and keep on flying. Let them soar. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Your listening ears mean the world to me and they're what makes this podcast real. If you have a moment, please rate or review. It goes a long way. You can meet me on Instagram at RileyBlanksRead. Learn more about Woke Beauty at WokeBeauty.com and you can always drop me a line in my inbox at Riley at WokeBeauty.com. I'd love to hear from you. As always, remember, you can have a beautiful day even if it's not that beautiful. 